So from Hebrews chapter 12, uh, just these first three powerful verses, I want to invite you to something this morning, if you will. I want to invite you to consider uh, what an undistracted life looks like from God's Word. And not only that, but what is the value? Because the Bible answers both of those questions, addresses both of those things. The undistracted life, what it looks like, as well as why in the world you would want to bother. Why make the effort to run the race that we're called to run? Now, I love this, this imagery. Paul uses the same kind of imagery in Philippians. If you're familiar with his writing in the New Testament, he, he compares following Christ, your faith in Christ, to a race. Uh, and as we're going to see, it's not a sprint. It's more of a marathon. I'm a sprinter by nature. Uh, can you relate to that, some of you? I don't like to get things done. I like to get them done now. That's my nature. So I have to really pay attention to what God's Word says when it comes to this race. Because this indeed is a lifelong marathon in Christ that we will see. And I want you and I to notice two things this morning that it requires of you, a response from you and I in regard to running your race, in regard to living a distraction-free life. And, and that is simply a responsive action and your mind, a mental effort. We'll look at both of those in these three verses. Notice what it says, beginning with verse 1, chapter 12, Hebrews. He says, therefore, since we, that is believers, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And he says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, that is Christ, he, Christ, endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Christ. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. And then he tells you why. So that you will not, what? Grow weary and lose heart. Now look at the beginning in verse 1, and I want you to notice the very first two words that the author of Hebrews uses because he uses them on purpose and in this sequential order. Now, the NIV says, therefore, since. The therefore is looking back at chapter 11 and connecting chapter 11 to what he's trying to say in chapter 12. We looked at chapter 11 last Sunday, and, and in essence, if you reread that on your own, you look and you see one example after another of a, of a focused faith, a confident faith in God, and the value that came from living that way. And so he's saying, be inspired by the past. 
There are examples in that case, in chapter 11, of Old Testament believers who consistently lived out their faith and it made a big difference. And you and I can be encouraged in the presence. And that's where the, that's where the word sense comes in. So he says, therefore, okay, you're looking back and you're taking on the examples. You're being encouraged by the examples of those around you from the past in this case. And he says, because of that, do something. Therefore, what? Since, since what? Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses around us, so many good examples. Then he says, look at it close, verse 1. Let us believers in the present do what? Throw. Throw some things away. And so for you and I to live a focused life, a distraction-free life, you and I have got to understand, first of all, what is worth living for in the first place versus what is truly a distraction. When I understand what is going to drive my life, what is the most important thing in my life, then I will automatically know what is less than, right? Does that make sense? I will know what the distractions are more clearly. And so he says, let us throw off. And he says, let us throw off two things. The first word is, let us throw off what hinders us. If I can get my, my flipper to work. Okay, there we go. So let us throw off what hinders us. Now you look at the picture on the big screen. If this dude showed up to be a part of your racing team, and he says, I'm ready. How far is he going to go? Not far, right? He's not going to run his race well, much less win the race or even have a, a, a significant part. You see that word hinders in the New Testament literally means weight. And the word refers to a not just weight, but a bending load. How many believers don't let go of their bending load in order to truly follow where Christ leads? How can you run a race? It's silly, right? We, we get that. It is silly to think that he's going to run his race well with that bending load on his back. Now listen... The word hindered is not necessarily something that is destructive and wrong. It could be something that's good. You ever heard too much of a good thing? That's, good things in life can hinder you from living for what is important. It doesn't have to necessarily be bad things, destructive things, even sinful things. He gets to that in the next categories. So he, he says... Throw away, get rid of, recognize what the distractions are, and do something about it. Don't let those things govern your life, be the driving force of your life. But then he says, let us not only throw away what hinders, but also what entangles us. Same story, and that's, a, that's an old actor if you didn't recognize the picture, but nonetheless, he's not going to run the race very well either, Right? If you get entangled, and in this case, entangled in the sins, in the things that are against the character of Christ, we can get entangled in things that will distract us from running the race we're called to race. That makes just basic sense, does it not? The word entangles actually means something that not only surrounds you, but, but makes you captive. It takes over your life. So on the one case, he's saying, remove what weighs you down, which could be not necessarily destructive or bad things, but too much of a good thing. It has become too important, whatever the, it is, the distraction. But in this case, he's saying, remove what trips you up. 
what entangles you and I. So before we can possibly run the race that Christ has called us to run, we've got to deal with the distractions, right? You can't show up to the track meet entangled and carrying a bent over load. Now, let me stop and let's, let's get practical. What are, and you can come up with your own list, but here's just a list of four things in my view that can serve as a distraction to a believer who really wants to follow where Christ leads. I don't mean just believe in Jesus, but actually follow him. Run your race. Now, if you've been sleeping, wake up, because this is important. This is real stuff today, not just 2,000 years ago. And I'll give you just a few examples of what I would call distractions. Not necessarily bad things, but things that can become a hindrance to you and I running a race. I'll pick on social media to begin with, right? Okay, y'all got real quiet all of a sudden. You see, social media in and of itself, in my view, is not bad. It can be, but it's not in and of itself bad. In fact, I appreciate having access to things like Facebook because I'm able to see what's going on in, in friends' lives that have moved away or I'm not in touch with as, as much anymore, or even family for that matter. I get to at least some semblance of connectivity with them, of, of engaging with them. So the tool is not a bad thing, but it can, it can become a bad thing when you get hooked on how many likes you get, right? Come on. Or if you, you're looking in social media and all of a sudden you've burned a couple hours and for what? Hello? Because that can happen to any one of us, right? In fact, you know this, and I'm not going to go too far down this road because there's a whole series I want to do later this year. You, you and I, that social media is built to get you hooked, to get you emotionally hooked to burn a lot of time on those apps. So this is a case where it's not in and of itself a bad thing, but it can become a hindrance, can it not? A distraction for you and I to really follow where Christ is leading to run our race. Number two, I think, I think an example, and you've heard me talk about this before, kids' sports teams. I'm not against kids' sports teams, by the way. I played basketball as a kid. I played soccer as a kid. I ran track. I played football. Uh, anything with a round ball on the team, I was in. And I loved playing sports as a kid. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with our kids being involved in sports. But, here's the but. But when that becomes your God, there's a problem. When it comes to a point that we're so involved in something, even for our kids, that we no longer see the value of the body of Christ because we, can't, we don't have the time to be involved, that is a problem in my view. That is a distraction. So once again, a good thing can turn into a bad thing when it becomes your God, when it becomes your driver in life. Number three, I'm just going to give you four, and this is more along the destructive part, when we pursue our dreams over God's vision. Uh, don't raise your hand, but do an internal conversation. You had had a point where you're wanting to take a path or you have dreams for your life and God's telling you something different. It happened to Paul, by the way. On a, on a, a road on his missionary journeys, God changed his direction. Listen, all right, let's, let's get real just for, just for a minute. Internally, don't raise your hands, don't look at each other, don't do anything, but just have this personal conversation. Are you really open to allowing Christ to change the direction of your life? Are, really, are you really open to allowing Christ to replace your dreams with his vision? You see, when we get to that place, that's when we can run a race. When we allow him to replace our dreams with his vision, 
and we allow him to move our direction. That's what it means to follow him, by the way. He's in, in control. And, and so that can be a problem with us. That can be a distraction. The final one, I would say, you've heard me talk about this for feeding the wrong things. I haven't said this in a while, but it's true. What you feed grows. When you feed worry, when you feed anxiety, big shocker, it grows. When you feed your relationship with Christ and you choose to take steps of faith, guess what? It grows. What you feed in your life will grow. And the truth is some believers, and we all have been there, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. Sometimes we're in a place where we're feeding the wrong things in life. We're feeding the wrong things and we therefore cannot run our race. Why am I making such a big deal out of this? Because look at what God's word says. Look at verse one. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles. Why? Because the next sentence, let us run the race. You can't run the race if you don't deal with the distractions first. You and I cannot run the race we're called to run until we deal with the distractions. And he says, look at verse 1, and let us run how? With perseverance. With perseverance, the race marked out for us. God has a predetermined race. He's ahead of you. He's gone before you. He's got a purpose for your life. It's a marathon that you have to take one step at a time and one day at a time. But nonetheless, he has a race marked out for you and I. Do you believe that? Hello, y'all wake up. Get out there. Do you really believe that? That when you were born, he breathed air into your lungs and he has a purpose for you? Because that's what the Bible says over and over again. And that's what it is saying here. By the way, the word race, don't you love this? The English word for the word race from the New Testament is the word agony. <laughs> Don't you just love it? There again, he's not talking about a sprint. He's talking about a marathon. Marathons, I've never run a marathon. and I look at the guys that do it. I don't think I want to, but nonetheless, it's agony. You can tell. It is one step time. You got to keep pressing on. And that's what he says here. Be prepared to run the race, not because I want you to experience agony, because I want you to experience who I am. I want you to experience the purpose I have for your life and what I want to achieve in you and through your life. And he says in this, this verse, and let us run with perseverance. That word perseverance, as you can imagine, means keep after it. Don't give up. It, it refers to taking the next step. It is a patient and steadfastness. It, it, in the New Testament, it's used in experiencing joy, hope-filled joy, because you're willing to persevere. God does not say persevere just for the sake of persevering. He tells you to persevere in your race because he has a purpose behind it. He has a joy to bring behind it. He wants you to experience who he is and the value of your life. But you got to be willing to run the race. And you can't run the race until you do what? Get rid of the distractions. You can't walk into your race carrying a bending load and entangled in whatever you're entangled in. You've got to deal with the distractions before you can run the race. But when you run the race, it will be worth it. It will be worth every agonizing step. That is what God's word is teaching you and I. Now look at verse one, and I'm at the end of it, I'm going to move a lot quicker. He goes on to say, let us run 
with perseverance, the race, look at the last words. Whose race is it? It's God's race that he gives to us. Because this race is what? Marked out for you. What that means is that Christ has marked out a specific course for you. If you're running a marathon, I don't think so, but I'm pretty sure it's not legal to ignore the directional signs on the marathon and go a different route. I'm not sure it's running in the race well if you ignore the, the guideposts and the signs and the route of the race. He's saying, I've got a route for you to run. Are you going to embrace the route? Are you going to embrace the race that I've called you to run? You've got to deal with the distraction. Now let's look at the, the, the other part, verses 2 and 3, and I'll move quicker. Notice the mental effort. What I do know about competing in sports as a kid and, and just watching pro athletes that there's a portion of it that's physical preparation, right? They've got the skill, physical set. You ever seen a pro football player, whoever? But I do know that probably about 70% of it is not physical, but is what? It's mental. Because if the Jehu can't get the count right, he's always going to get the penalties that set you back five yards, right? Or whatever it is, you pick your sport. I would say about 70% of competing well, of running your race, it's not just physical, not just the actions we take, but it has to do with how we think. And look at what he says. How do I know that? Look at verse 2. He says, if you're going to run your race marked out for you, verse 1, he goes on to say, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the who? The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. What does fixing your eyes on Jesus mean? Think like Jesus does. Watch him carefully. Focus on. You see, that's the imagery of the racer once again. I've seen many of people, you've seen some of the videos on the, the beauty of social media, who are running the race, they think they've got it won, and what do they do before they lose it? They start celebrating to it. Y'all seen those? They're the funniest things, unless it's you. But nonetheless, they're running, they've got the race won, and they start celebrating too soon, and somebody passes them by. But I've seen another scenario, even as a kid when I was competing in track, I saw the best runner on the track lose a race because he looks back before he hits the finish line. You see, the, the focus is forward. The focus has got to be on Christ if you're going to run your, your race well. Think like Christ. Take on the mind of Christ is what that means. And he goes on to say, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the what? The pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Now, what those words mean are important when you take them together, especially because the word or the, the, the idea of fixing your, your eyes forward, run forward, has a connection to the transformation that occurs in your life. I cannot be transformed by Christ if I don't fix my eyes on Christ. I cannot run this race well and follow him if I don't look where he's going, right? And so as I look to him one day at a time, one marathon step at a time, then he is the pioneer. And by the way, the word pioneer there, and that's the NIV, some of your versions say author, it means chief leader. Ask yourself this question, very simple. Is Jesus really the chief leader in my life? You see, Bible language, we call that Lord. How many people think they're saved, but he's not Lord? That doesn't work that way, friend. That's not the Bible. 
The Bible says if you're really saved, he's Lord. Are you allowing him to be the chief leader in your life? Because that's what that means. He will transform your life and show you that he is worth following. And then he says the perfecter, that means to make complete. Who makes you complete? I'm going to wait for an answer. Y'all, come on. Jesus. Who can fix you? Holy Christ. See, what, you know what the application is, right? Quit trying to fix yourself and quit trying to fix others. On your race along the way, you're going to see things in your life that are incomplete that you need fixed, transformed. And you're going to see other people along the way as you're racing, and you're going to be tending to look left and right and see that, oh, that, I can fix that, or I can fix him or her. Quit trying to fix people. Let Jesus do the fixing. Let Jesus do the transforming is the, the application. He will transform your life when you fix your eyes on Jesus. And I want you to notice what it does in verse 2. At the end of verse 2, he goes on to say this, For the joy is set before him. He now shifts from your race to the example of Christ himself. And he says, For the joy set before him, verse 2, He who Christ endured the cross, scorning its, chain, its shame, and sat down, look at it, sat down at the what? The right hand of the throne of God. Now stay with me for just for a moment. You see, the throne means God's power and authority, his complete authority. When you walked in in ancient times, you walked before a king, the guy sitting on the throne had all the power. When you walk into a courtroom, that judge with the robe behind the bench has all the power. Doesn't matter what you think, it matters what he or she thinks, right? That's the picture. And for Jesus to sit at the right hand of the throne of God after he died and resurrected means that he has all the power and authority. You know what he just said? Christ reigns. Listen, not Christ will reign, Christ does reign. That's the reality. Whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, Regardless of what this culture says is right and wrong and the upside down garbage we get every day in our culture today on what is right, what is healthy and what is not, doesn't matter what this culture says, he still reigns. Doesn't matter how dark it gets, he still reigns. So the question is, are you going to experience that reign by fixing your eyes on Jesus? Are you going to experience that reign by running your race? Because he reigns. God's word made that clear here and many other places. He's not will reign, he does reign. And the problem is many believers are not living as if he reigns. He does reign, but you're not experiencing the value of his reign in your life because you're too busy, me too at times, being in control of your life and not letting him be in control. And God's word says he reigns. He is sitting on the right side of God, the right hand of God, the power of God is all of Christ. He has it all. And so what I want you to see as I wrap it up with verse three is simply this. To focus on Christ means he does the transforming. Run the race and let him do the work. Run the race in faith one day, one step at a time, and let him do the transforming in your life and in other people's lives. Quit trying to play God. Let him be God. It's amazing how that works. It works so much better when I let Christ be Christ. And he says, he does the transforming. And the second part, he reigns over all. 
Quit fretting about what you're in the middle of. I'm not saying don't feel things. I'm saying don't give control to the fear. Because why? He reigns. He is more than enough. There's nothing in this life that you'll ever experience that Jesus cannot handle. But you'll never know that until you run the race. And you take the next step of faith in the marathon. Look at verse 3. Look at how he wraps it up. After all that, he says, consider him. He says, consider who? Consider Christ. That word consider means to think deeply on, to focus on. It's almost like fixing your eyes on Jesus. Consider him who did what? Who endured such opposition from sinners. And then he tells you why it will impact your life. But he says, first of all, consider what Jesus has accomplished in his marathon. Does anybody in the room want to claim a, a greater agonizing marathon than Jesus Christ? The brutal, We're about to celebrate it over Good Friday and Easter this coming soon this month. Jesus took on more than you and I will ever take on. Jesus experienced more pain and agony than you and I can ever imagine. He has been there and understands and he is therefore enough. And he says, consider that. Don't forget what he has accomplished. Not only who he is, he reigns, but what he has accomplished. Everything he has accomplished. And when Jesus got up on that cross, he was not put there. He crawled up there. When he says it is finished, you know what he meant? It's finished. There's nothing coming at you that he hasn't supplied you to handle. One day, one step in the marathon of time. And then he says, when you consider this, what he has accomplished, look at the very end of verse 3. He says, so that, here's the reason I want you to consider this, so that you will not, what? Grow weary or lose heart. You know what the inference is? If you run this race in your own strength, you will grow weary and you will lose heart. But in Christ... You do not have to grow weary or lose heart. I love those two words. The word grow, a phrase grow weary, means to be exhausted and even feeling beaten down by life. You ever felt that way at times? Certainly all of us have. The, the word lose heart means to lose courage. Discouragement means the loss of courage. But here's what Jesus said before he went to the cross and he provided a way for us to run the race. He said, I have told you these things. The gospel of John, read it if you want to know what he told him. He, he told him the truth. He said, I've told you these things so that, here's the reason, so that in me you may have what? Peace in the midst of the chaos. In this world, you will, not might, you will have what? Trouble. But take heart. And he put an exclamation on there, by the way. He's speaking up. Take heart. Why? I, Christ, have overcome the world. It's done. You've got everything you need to run your marathon. Run it. Take it one faith step at a time, one day at a time, and run it. William, Wilma, excuse me, Rudolph was a child number 20 out of 22 siblings in a very large family. This was some time ago, not yesterday, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. So Wilma was a child number 20 out of 22 kids, and she was born prematurely, and the doctors did not expect her to live, but she did. 
And at age four, Wilma contracted double pneumonia and scarlet fever, leaving her left leg paralyzed. And she was not expected to walk, but she did with the help of a metal brace. At age nine, Wilma removed the leg brace and began walking without it. She was not expected to ever walk without a brace, but she did. At age 13, Wilma developed a rhythmic walk without that brace, and she decided she would begin running. She was not expected to ever run, but she did. For the next three years, Wilma ran races and came in dead last. But after about year three, she began to win a race. She was not expected to run a race, but she did. She was not expected to ever win a race, but she did. Not only that, Wilma, this little girl who was not expected to live, who was not expected to walk, who was not expected to run, who was not expected to run a race, much less win a race, but she did. Wilma Rudolph won three gold medals in the 1960s Olympics in Rome. She was not expected to win a gold medal, but she did. You see, Christ is looking at you and I because he's provided a way and he's saying, I don't care what the world says, but you can. Take your next step of faith. I want to leave you with these five responses that I see if we're going to run our race and surely follow where Christ leads. Here's what I believe that means. Number one, let's run this race together. You see, Hebrews 12 is not about you, it's not about me, it's about us. He uses the word we throughout this passage. If you notice, it's the body of Christ. We will always run our race better together than we ever will on our own. We need to encourage one another. We need to be by one another. We need to be cheering one another as we run our agonizing races, our marathons. Number two, get rid of the distractions. We've talked about that. You can't run the race carrying your load. Give your load to Christ. Get people around you that can encourage you to do that. Get rid of the distractions. Number three, trust Christ to do the transforming. Quit trying to fix your life and fix other people. Let Jesus do the transforming. Number four, trust that Christ reigns. Not will reign, he does reign. Trust that fact. One step in your marathon at a time. And number five, finally, rely on the strength of Christ offers. He offers you everything you need. Just keep running your marathon one step at a time. Are you willing to run your race? Pray about that. Think about it as you leave here this morning. Am I willing to run my race? Because we're called to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words of inspiration and challenge and encouragement all wrapped up together. Father, indeed, the race you call us to run as believers to follow you throughout our lives is not an easy, quick, one-off sprint. It is a marathon. It is a one step at a time, and at times it will be challenging and even agonizing to do what you want us to do. But Father, I pray we will choose to say yes to you and keep taking that next step of faith in our journey with Christ both as a body of Christ collectively and individually, 
Father, you've called us. You've set a race before us. You've given us a purpose to accomplish in this life and not just breathe and take up space, but ultimately to have a reason that you've put us here. It won't be easy. It will be challenging, but you're more than enough. So I pray, Father, we will be willing to run our race. It's in Jesus' name.